0: Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden.
1: Congratulations, everybody. (laughs) All right. We made Um, it. Poor people don't celebrate. we're going live
2: now. All right, let's do it. We're live on YouTube, so. Are you ready? We are ready.
1: Hey, everybody. Are you recording? Steve yes. uh, Mike? Okay. Hey, everybody. It's Harvey Sluggo Wasserman. I want to wish you all a happy old and new year. Um, uh, we are in 2023. It is raining in Los Angeles um, and has been raining for a week or two. Right, Dorothy? appears to be, be raining. On
3: and off. Yeah. And t- tomorrow's going to be the killer storm.
1: Big storms here in Los Angeles, so um, it, it's a good sign. Uh, God knows we need to, we need the rain. It feels like I'm in Ohio, uh, for God's sakes, but here we are. Uh, we are uh, joined by Clint Curtis, uh, who's going to talk to us a bit uh, later on about paper ballots. We're going to do our first hour, as we usually do, on uh, election protection issues. We've got some really interesting stuff um, uh, to talk about, uh, paper ballots, among them, uh, Julian Assange is Deepak. A uh, uh, Deepak driver with us, uh, Wendy. Wendy Lieberman or um, uh, uh, Major D here.
3: I'm looking for her. I don't see her. I'll go ahead and message her. But she did confirm with me, so I'm sure she'll be on soon.
1: Okay, good. Uh, we do want to start. Uh, unfortunately, um, we have a. Uh, departure uh one of our truly great election protection activists a pioneer in uh in the early uh days of Ohio 2004 uh Clint uh, uh our, our Cliff Arnebeck passed away Steve do you have a picture of Cliff to put up and we have the great Bob Fetrakis with us uh uh to uh, uh, say a couple words about Clint. Clint Cliff I'm sorry Cliff was um uh, a truly important uh, player in the in the in the early days of the no nukes movement i'm sorry the election protection movement there he is in the in the beige coat uh he was an attorney uh that's his wonderful wife sibley next to him uh sibley also a great activist with common causes um uh, cliff and sibley with bob fatrakis and uh, some scurrilous criminal on the far left uh there there he is again uh, Bob, do you wanna say a few words about, about Cliff and his contributions to the movement?
4: Uh, Cliff, uh, again, was a happy warrior, uh, even though he went broke uh, as part of the movement. Uh, when I met him, he had been a, a attorney for the Republican party, <laughs> but uh, he had an enduring faith in democracy. And he ended up being the lead attorney in the uh, Moss v. Bush case, uh, which challenged the election results in Ohio and created so much controversy back in 2004. So. so uh, and I know some people here know him. So uh, if you got something to say, I'd, I'd like to hear it. Uh, Cliff not only liked democracy Uh, He was a preservationist and tried to save the old Ohio pet uh, here in uh, Ohio. He did uh, very well. He also was involved heavily against the death penalty. And uh, I can remember him going up and facing down the guards at Mansfield's death row in order to attempt to get uh, a um, testimony from a guy who was scheduled to die the next day, Johnny Bird. So Cliff had tremendous, uh, tremendous will, and he'll be greatly him and his wife Sibby. Uh, you know, she worked with Common Cause as well, but they were a tremendous team, and uh, I think fondly of them. And uh, he fought till the end. Uh, We worked out of the same office for, you know, a couple decades Uh, and uh, again, he was always ready to go. He was always ready to fight for democracy. He was in a few films as well, including of course, Murder, Spies and Voting Lies, Clint Curtis story. So it's timely that we have Clint Curtis here as well. So if you got, uh, what I'd really like to do is, I mean, he looked like Clark Kent. He was a Harvard <laughs> attorney.
1: Uh, and uh, again. Yeah, well, Clint, uh, Cliff also uh, really sacrificed for the no nukes. for the. <laughs> we're, get, we're getting Clint and Cliff and voter protection and no nukes all jumbled up here. But it is a new year. And it is raining in Los Angeles, which really is totally counterintuitive. So um, uh, we, uh, Cliff really made a lot of sacrifices for our movement. Uh, he had he could have had a tremendous mainstream career, as you saw in the pictures, he was a great looking guy. Uh, he was actually offered to be president of American Electric Power, for God's sakes, uh, and turned it down to be an independent attorney, but he was really on the case and very, very important to all of us. So uh, Cliff, we, we miss you and uh, we, we wanna salute your incredibly great work. Uh, a lot of us would not be here today had it, uh, had it not been for uh, Cliff Arnebeck. So thank you, Cliff. And Sibley, we send our love and condolences to you. He will be missed. Thank you, Bob Fetrakis. Um, um I, I'm gonna uh, uh, go now. Um, I, Clint, uh, um, are, are you ready? Uh, can you give us a short presentation? We, we were gonna lead off with uh, Deepa and uh, Joanna Assange, but she has not appeared to be with us yet. And we wanna uh, welcome you. <laughs> you are in Florida,
4: is that right, Clint? Uh, you, you, uh, can we unmute you here, Clint? Clint Curtis, uh, we, we, you're muted. Um,
1: I can't hear you. Come no there. There you go. Look, we got it. We got it. <laughs> okay, you got it. Okay, so Clint Curtis,
2: you can't trust him. You,
1: you also <laughs> are an early uh, uh, founder of the uh, uh, election protection movement you were with us in uh uh, ohio 2004 Uh, you came to the hearing in columbus as i recall Mm -hmm. after george uh w bush was uh uh, wrongly uh, inaugurated a second time um and you are now working on paper ballots can you tell us please uh what you're working on uh we are live streaming on youtube we are we have 41 people with us and we will be uh, rebroadcasting this on the progressive radio network uh next week by the way uh, on Thursday, at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, we will not meet next week. Um, uh, t- it is uh, Martin Luther King Day, uh, but once we once we're through that, we will be full speed ahead on our Monday meetings for the next two years, uh, certainly through uh, uh, 2024. So, excuse me, Clint Curtis, can you you were a an aide to uh, uh, Tom Feeney when he was in the Congress uh, plotting to overthrow the U.S. government, as I recall? But uh, uh, give us, uh, tell us, if you will, uh, uh, what you've got for us on paper ballots.
2: OK, well, not exactly. I was a programmer at a company where he came in and requested that we write code that would allow the about the computers to flip the election to whoever they wanted to go to. So uh, <laughs> Small deal. let's had.
1: repeat that. Clint <laughs> Curtis, you were a computer program, programmer, programmer. You were approached by a congressman, Tom Feeney, as part of your um, operation to write a computer code that would flip uh, an election. Is, right. Did we get that right? That is correct. Um, and that, that probably is why you are today advocating paper ballots.
2: It is, because computers can't be trusted in any form. There is no way that you can actually lock them down so they can't cheat you. Because no matter okay, what you're so, looking at, they'll get you. <laughs>
1: So, so you are doing an advocacy program for paper ballots, which we, uh, on these, these calls, uh, strongly endorse. Uh, uh, can you tell us what, what you got going with it?
2: OK, well, i um, been doing it for 20 years, actually. I was the one that testified. And Cliff Arnebeck was the one that did the questioning at the Conyers uh, hearing. Before right, Conyers. the
1: Conyers hearing was organized by Bob Petrakis uh, and Cliff and others uh, in Columbus, Ohio, after the 2004 <laughs> election. It was the first of, uh, of its kind as a, uh, a hearing, and John Conyers, uh, a congressman from Detroit, uh, came down. And, and, and also, um, um, uh, Nadler was there, uh, Congressman Nadler from New York. So go ahead, please.
2: We're also working with PDA. PDA was involved in it. Uh, yes. there were a lot of people with, uh, that were out there kicking it around, trying to get it to go, and it, it kind of worked. Um, So uh, basically what I'm doing now is I've been basically working on this for 20 years trying to tell people the same thing over and over and over again that they've heard 100 times, but they don't seem to hear it. The Republicans were always the ones blocking it because they said, oh, ignore it, it's fine, everything's good. Well, now they're all excited and they're claiming the other election wasn't valid. Well, it might not be because no election using a computer could ever be valid because you don't really know. It could be, it couldn't be, you just don't know. And so what I'm trying to do, since I kind of have them leaning that way now, is if we can get the Democrats to be where they have been for 20 years and get enough Republicans to lean in, regardless of why, you know, I don't care why they're leaning that way. Let's just take it and be happy. If we can do that, then we can get rid of the machines and we can have paper ballot elections everywhere. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get people together that know enough about the elections and paper ballots and want to see that and i'm going to try and get together so that we can prove the point do kind of a a prototype try different methods and show which one works so we can demonstrate to the world that it can be done i've been in conversations with people in texas and arizona and california all over the place and we have them leaning in the right direction but a lot of them are still a little off it well, we had
1: to get it. we had the chair of the Nevada Democratic Party Uh-oh. on this call a few a couple months ago, and they were opposing the use of paper ballots in Nye County, um, uh, Nevada, because uh, they did not want to have to sit and wait for hand counting of paper ballots. Now, are you advocating that all all paper ballots that an entire election be done on paper ballots? and that all that paper ballots be hand counted.
2: Absolutely, and be videotaped where that videotape is available to everyone to see. Because the problem with an election is not is the is election valid, it's whether everyone believes it's valid. And if you have a talking head say, oh, it's perfect, it's good, but your guy didn't win, it doesn't matter. I used to play a game, been doing this for 20 years. I'm gonna pick a number between one and two. What number is that?
1: <laughs> two and a half.
2: Two and a half. That's wrong. <laughs> okay. Well, you could be right, but you won't believe me, especially if we have money or something writing on it, right? Okay. Okay. That's how it is in a lot of the country. Okay. The others where we have paper ballots, we have okay, I'm gonna write this number down, pick a number between one or two. This is for hundred thousand dollars.
1: One and a half.
2: You're wrong. Okay, but I can't show you the paper you have to b- believe me. And that's what we have in the rest of the country. And that's why people don't believe the elections are valid because all their neighbors voted for their guy, right? <laughs> Everybody they hang around with voted for the other guy. So they don't believe it, even if it's true. And until we can get everyone to believe in the election, you're gonna get more January 6th. You're gonna get political assassination. You to get all the stuff that happens in these other countries where their democracy has gone in the toilet.
1: Okay, so folks, we're talking with Clint Curtis. Clint was uh, instrumental with Bob Petrakis, who's on the call with us, and with Cliff Arnebeck, who sadly just passed away, back in Ohio 2004, which is really the birthplace in many ways of the election protection movement that we are now all, all dealing with here on these calls. And Clint came into Columbus uh, and ha- testified that he had been approached by a, a congressperson from Florida Tom Feeney to a write of a program code that would allow Tom Feeney to steal the election in 2004 and so clint came and testified in public to this um clint it's uh, remarkable you don't you're not wearing cement shoes at the bottom of Biscayne <laughs> Bay but uh here you are and um and you are now do you have a website that you can share with people, you are now advocating 100% paper ballots. And I have to say that given the situation in 2004, where the country had been flooded with electronic voting machines, because of the aftermath of Florida 2000, the Help America Vote Act, the Congress voted $2 billion, spread electronic voting machines all over the country, and gave us election results that could be whatever a programmer like Clint Curtis could come up with. And thankfully, Clint Curtis became a great hero with us right here because he refused to do it and went public. And now, and and by 2018, and this is one of the great things that has happened in this country and it is proof that activism makes a difference. By 2018, more than 80% of the country was casting their ballots on paper. And that happened in 2020, and had it not happened in 2020, Donald Trump would be president for life. There is no doubt in my mind, and Clint, maybe you can tell me if I'm off the wall here, and Bob uh, Fetrakis, uh, the great pioneer here, if if we had not had paper ballots, as you advocate, in the 2020 election, there is no way that we could have won 60 court cases turning down Donald Trump's assertion that the elect that the election had been stolen. Uh, Cliff, would you would you say that's a true statement?
2: It is, but then there's a problem because part of the problem is while we vote on paper, we don't really use it. We send it through a computer that tells us what that paper said. That computer then produces a ballot image, which may or may not be true. Because I was a programmer at NASA, and there are no real—the computer does nothing by itself; it does what I tell it to do. So, if I want to produce a ballot image one way, I'll produce it. If I want to produce it another, the hard part's making it really accurate. The easy part is making it not accurate. So
4: okay,
1: so I, I
2: think we- anything. So that's why they don't believe it, because you're still at a computer. You've got to get rid of the scanners and you've got to have something that people can actually visually see put their hands on and know it's correct
1: okay so we we have been working of course with john breaking we're gonna have to have you back to debate this and bob petrakis you can jump in if you like because um, we do have advocacy from uh, many of our um, participants that uh, ballot scanning can work but and that uh, there are problems with hand counting as well. So this is a discussion, but there's no, you'll get no debate on this call for the need for paper ballots. Uh, is that right, Bob Fatrikus? I mean, we are we are completely in the in the camp of paper ballots. Question of scanning machines is another discussion. But Bob
4: counted paper ballots is the gold standard. It's yeah. the only trustworthy system.
1: Okay, there you go. So um, well, that's a good way to begin the new year. As we head towards 2024, we absolutely want a hand, paper ballots um, marked by the general public. Whether they're scanned is another situ- another story. One of the advocacy positions for scanning is that if you ha- keep the paper ballots and you have a question about the scanning, you can always revert to the paper ballots. And and uh, and so that that is the position that's been put forth by John Brakey and others on these calls. So... Clint, you are a man of great standing in this. You are, of course, uh, as we said, a pioneer in the movement for hand-counted paper ballots. I mean, you got people. You have to understand. In 2004, this was not an issue. People did not question the elections, and it was Bob Petrankis's work that went back to 1988, when there were um, <laughs> dubious machines brought into New Hampshire that helped George George the First. When a primary election, completely counterintuitive against Bob Dole, uh, uh, Bush won was losing the um, uh, primary election by a substantial margin, and then all of a sudden he won. And that that election was conducted on machines that uh, Bob uh, uh, strongly questioned. When we came into 2000, in Florida, we had the fiasco of the of the Brooks Brothers mob. And you know, uh, those of us now dealing with this issue, we're looking at 2020 and we're saying that a mob was summoned by the incumbent president to overturn the election. Well, we forget and he failed. And you know, he failed in 60 court cases and he failed to overturn the election. You have to remember, and very few people think of this, that in Florida 2000, there was a mob the Brooks Brothers mob, they swarmed into South Florida, and they prevented a vote count. And they succeeded, because they stopped the vote count that would have clearly gone for Al Gore, and the Supreme Court upheld that mob's action. And in fact, three members of the team that swarmed the the vote count in South Florida in 2000 the Brooks Brothers mob, three members of that organization are now on the United States Supreme Court. Think about that a minute. <clears throat> we saw a mob in 2020. They failed to overturn an election. Mazel tov. I mean, we all feel great about that. But in 2000, there was a mob, and they overturned an election. They succeeded in overturning the election. <clears throat> and three members of that mob now sit on the United States Supreme Court. John Roberts, Brent Kavanaugh, and Amy Barrett. All three of them were part, in one way or another, of the legal team uh, for the Brooks Brothers mob. These people are now on the United States Supreme Court. It's mind boggling to me. And the upshot of that was in 2004, when basically in similar ways they did the same thing in Ohio, Clint Curtis and Bob Petrakis were there as was Cliff Arnabek who we, who we celebrate, whose life we just celebrated. Uh, do you wanna to add to that Clint?
2: Uh, I just wanna add that if anyone wants to help on this developing a prototype for a full paper ballot counted with the video of the whole nine yards, um, I will put my email up here, at clintcurtis.com. Let me know, we'll see if we can set this up and get it done. Uh, the issue is you're gonna to have to work with Republicans
1: that's fine we, we we had the um we had the speaker of the Arizona house
2: on our call we are we are nonpartisan We're <laughs> Some of them are states. really nutty though I mean some of them are over the top Republicans but you just well, have we to had that. some
1: pretty pretty nutty Democrats too you know
2: <laughs> <laughs> you have to smile and move through because if we can get a consensus we can finally get it done 20 years later
1: well you know we we got awful close in in 2018 2020 and 2022. More than 80% of the ballots cast in the United States were on paper, at least that we know of. Definitely in 18, and of course in 20, in 18 and 20, uh, you know, there was questions of the COVID. Uh, The COVID really nailed it for 2020. Uh, There there was no way that people were gonna go in and vote in person. And so paper ballots, it's ironic, all those years of working to get paper ballots, what finally nailed it was a pandemic. And, you know, I mean, uh, there was no alternative to the paper ballots uh, when the pandemic was on. So, you know, uh, uh, it just, it's one of those you never know things. Uh, but we were told, uh, Bob and I and, and you in, in 2004, that we'll never succeed in getting paper ballots. And then, and we work and we work and we work. And uh, there we are. All of a sudden, <laughs> in comes a plague that kills God knows how many people. And with it comes paper ballots. And that's, and as a result of that, we don't have a dictator. I mean, it's just, um, it's the law of unintended consequences, you know? Okay, Uh, Clint, anybody wanna, uh, Dorothy, you have a hand up and I think uh, Dr. Ruth had a hand up. And Clint, we do have a a chat and you can post all your, (coughs) excuse me, all your stuff in the chat there. Okay, Dorothy Wright, go ahead.
3: I just want to say a couple of things. I ran into this, you know, this computer situation back in 2000. Someone from my high school had sent around the thing. It was a thing called Fraudo. I don't know if any of you ever saw it. F-R-A-U-D-O. And it was just a little, thing. you went to Fraudo and you voted for Bush. And the or go, you voted for Gore and the, and the thing came up Bush. It was like a little screen you know like a little like a little voting screen and it was totally you, you couldn't do anything about it that's what would happen and so i can't find that in my computer anymore i lost it but it was well in florida pretty amazing I, and besides besides that we have three people on supreme court who are part of the brooks brothers mob uh we have 149 representatives in our congress who were supportive of
1: the Stop the steal so uh, we're in serious trouble here. Well, in Ohio 2004, we had repeated reports uh, throughout the state that people were going in to vote on these touchscreen machines, and they were pushing John mm-hmm. Kerry and, and George W. Bush was fighting up. And at least seven machines in Youngstown, as Bob, you'll remember, um, uh, reported that problem. And the, the people were standing there and they'd call over an election official and they'd say, hey, I, I, I pushed uh, Kerry and Bush lit up. And the election officials would say, oh, just keep pushing Kerry. Eventually it'll be all right. <laughs> and people would, they would start and they would push Kerry and then they'd go through the rest of their, um, their, their vote. And then they'd come back and they'd look and Bush was lit up. And and you know this happened over and over again throughout the state, and and Bob was uh, you know the first to report this in Ohio, and um, uh, you know I, I was there with Bob in, in Columbus we were both uh, teaching at Columbus State, and but I'm a historian if it hadn't been for Bob I wouldn't have known any of this was happening, and I keep getting I got these calls from Bob in the day, and we he'd give me a memo and I'd write up the article, uh, I'd finish at three in the morning. And uh, he would wake up and send it to him, and he'd wake up at 8, and we'd, and we'd post it on the internet. And that's how, that's how he posted it, and that's at freepress.org, and that's how the word got out that the election had been stolen. And then Clint Curtis uh, came in and, and told us about being asked to program the theft of an election, and that's, that's how all this started. And Steve Roosevelt came in, Pete Pekarski was involved with the uh, legal stuff. Bev Harris was reporting on black box voting, but this goes back to Ohio 2004, and uh, I tell you, once again, it's a testimony. You know, we in the anti-nuclear movement, we know that Richard Nixon said it'd be a a thousand nukes in the U.S. by the year 2000. In the U.S. in the year 2000, there are 104, and the same thing from Ohio. We were we were facing impossible odds to make any dent on the election system with thousands and thousands of electronic voting machines all over the country. And um, and the, the, and I gotta say, Clint, you mentioned wacky Republicans. The Democrats were much more uh, resistant and, and contemptuous of our work than the Republicans were. Isn't that right, Bob? Yeah, I mean, the, the Republicans just dumped all over us All the way up to 2016, where Bob showed definitive evidence in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan of election theft. And the Democrat and Jill Stein, Bob was one of her attorneys. Jill Stein goes in and tries to do recounts in those states, and the Democrats shut her down. The Republicans didn't care at all, but the Democrats dumped all over Jill Stein. Uh, it was outrageous what's happened. So, you know, <clears throat> but we persevere. And thanks to you and Cliff and, and Bob, um, uh, here we are. Thank God. Uh, Ruth Strauss, you have a hand up, please. Ruth, you want to unmute? Bob, you're muted. Yeah. Um, any, yeah.
5: Anyway, uh, Clint, I have your video and Harvey and Bob, I have the uh, report out of Ohio. So mm. anyway, um what I wanted to say is that the other part of this is and I know probably everybody on this call knows this that uh there's all kinds of chicanery with the voting machine uh companies uh you know uh taking you know the uh secretaries of state to Lakers games or whatever uh in our own uh, county um Dean Logan, you know, the first time I saw him maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago, I knew he was a slime right then. Fast (laughs) forward, he spent something like 300 million, I think, on voting machines for us for, I think, 2020. And I got a hold of um, an independent report, an audit of the machines, which had, I swear, the report said 43 flaws Seven of them fatal, meaning <laughs> you you could stick a you know USB drive. You could lift the back of the machine and take you know two hundred ballots out of the back of the machine. The ballots go under a print head. Once you okay them, I mean it, it was just astounding to me, and I wondered if you or Harvey have any you know thoughts on
1: solutions to something like that. Yeah, paper ballots. That's right, it, and right. Ruth, you're 100 percent right to bring it up. Paper ballots are the answer, and uh, Julie Wiener is on with us uh, from uh, New York, and she's having the same fight in New York now with the paper with with the machines, and it's the Democrats. The Democrats in California have been pushing the machines, and uh, and and same in New York. It and, and the Democrats in uh, Nevada were fighting hand counted paper ballots in Nye County. I mean, you know, it, it's a nightmare. Uh, uh, thank you for that, Ruth. Um, uh, uh, and Dean Logan is the uh, was the election guy in in, in California and a Democrat, uh, and we got nowhere with him. He's a nightmare. Uh, Julie, what is happening very quickly? And we have Deepa going to talk to us about um, Julian Assange. Okay, uh, yeah. But Julie, uh, we we're having real problems in New York too, right?
0: Yeah, the assembly in New York got persuaded by the ESNS uh, lobbyist. Not to allow consideration of the uh, bill that would have guaranteed hand marked paper ballots and no barcodes and uh, only non tabulating ballot marking devices like the PAVE Act, the SAFE Act, and all the other bills, most of the other bills the Democrats have been trying to get through uh, the, the United States Congress since 2009. But um, so we're still we're, we're still trying to persuade them. Meanwhile, we have had keep your fingers crossed for us. We've been putting a lot of pressure on the New York State Board of Elections to admit that it's illegal under the Help America Vote Act and New York State law to approve um, voting counting votes with barcodes because barcodes can't be verified by voters and the law requires voter verification of the ballots so we're arguing that they would have to redefine a ballot as a barcode in order to oh, um well we're getting we're putting enough pressure there might be a possibility that, anyway we're there is the hard inter civic ballot marking devices is a non-barcode non um Non-tabulating standalone ballot marking device that also has a separate scanner. So hopefully that's going to be certified soon. So at least um, across the state, uh, counties will have the option of purchasing a non-tabulating ballot marking device and hand and an independent scanner. But I did want to say I want to ask people whether anyone else here on this call was at the demonstration in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, the day of the uh, certification of the electors, which was also the day of the um, which was also the one of the days if it was more than one day. I don't remember if it was, but at least one of the days of the uh, uh, Conyers Lewis hearings. Yes, yeah, it
1: was the same time. I don't so very we sure had it. a
0: little we had a little car full of people from New York and we met a little car full of people from California. And Clint Curtis, I'm so delighted to meet you in person, quasi in person, uh, on computer. (laughs) Um, So I'm wondering whether anybody here, whether there's anybody here who was on that little tiny demonstration, that little tiny nationwide demonstration that consisted of one car from New York and one car from California that I
1: attended in 2004 in Columbus. Yeah, well, I remember that very clearly. Bob Fatrakis, Clint Curtis, and I. We're at City Hall, and City Hall is like two, 300 yards from the State House. And, and we were having the hearing in Columbus in City Hall while the electors in the State House <clears throat> were driving a stake through the heart of our democracy. <clears throat> and you, I'm great... <clears throat> It's great to hear that you were there demonstrating. So thank you very much, Julie, for coming from New York and joining the people of California. We it was and it was it was very meaningful. And I, I really, really wanted to go into the state house and see what these electors looked like who were who were voting uh, for Bush. Uh and uh but I, I don't think they would have let, let us in. I'm not sure. But we we were in the middle of the hearings where Clint Curtis. Uh, was testifying. This is really a, a landmark moment here for the first day of 23 uh, people. You you've got to understand this is a movement that did not exist prior to. Uh, I getting an echo here. Uh, prior to uh, the 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 events that we're talking about, uh, we have 62 people on the call. This is Harvey Slogo Wasserman. This is the 122nd Green Grassroots. Uh, emergency election protection meeting. Uh, we are going to go, um, we will not meet next week. It's Martin Luther King Day, but after that, we're going to go straight through to uh, Election Day 2024. We are going to be protecting elections. Clint Curtis is with us, an advocate of paper ballots. Uh, Clint, you've, I hope, put your stuff in the chat. And um, we're live streaming, so we can't use swear words, but uh, if we could. Well, if you want to swear, you're welcome to do so in Yiddish, and um, um, and I can help you with that if you like. Uh, I'll put a glossary of Yiddish swear words in the chat. Uh, Dorothy, you have your hand, and then we want to wrap this up. We have Deepa uh, Driver with us for um, uh, to talk about Julian Assange, but really, Clint I just it's wanted to say. You want to say quickly
3: that 20
1: years ago, more than 20 years ago, Mimi
3: Kennedy, Judy, the the infamous Judith Alter and I and about five other election protection people met with Xavier Slavsky, begged him not to hire Dean Logan. Uh, But it seems that Dean Logan stole an election in Washington State for the Democrats, and he was owed a favor, and so he was given Los Angeles. And we could not prevent that hire, and he didn't even meet the criteria for the job. He's not a college graduate, among other things. Uh, And we've been stuck with him now for 20-something years. So that's what I wanted to say. Just a little historical perspective here. Please, logo, you're muted.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Mimi Kennedy, who's been on many of our calls is a great hero of this movement as well. And um, you know, this was an issue, um, uh, but uh, now now it's a movement. Let's put it that way. First, it's an issue, uh, then it's a movement. And we're joined by Dennis Bernstein, the great host of the Flashpoint show, KPFA, Uh, We have uh, 62 people on the call. We are live streaming. Uh, We've got uh, two of the great heroes of the early movement, Clint Curtis and Bob Patrakis with us. And we're celebrating the life of uh, 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 Cliff Arnebeck, who has just passed. And we're going to go in a minute now. And and Julie, it's great to have you on from New York. Dorothy from California. I mean, people have been on this, uh, 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 Dr. Ruth, for a long, long time. Does anybody else have anything to add before we switch over and start talking about Julian Assange? And I hope if um, he can join us to uh, um, talk a brick we'll talk about Leonard Peltier. Anybody? Anything else? Cliff, I got to say, we, we work with Republicans as well as Democrats. It's kind of gratifying in a way to see all these Republicans now running around screaming about a stolen election. But you got to understand that the Democrats have been way worse on this. I mean, way worse on this. Than the Republicans
2: have been most they, Republicans are good people, but there are a few that are a little far well, out. you
1: know, the same, the same <laughs> as Democrats. I mean, you know, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm finishing my history of the United States, a people's spiral of US history. I put in a thing out before, but now we've had 22, so I'm wrapping it up. The hardest thing that I had to do in writing a history of the United States was write about the Clinton administration, they were so bad. And I never realized how bad they were until I had to write a history uh, of that administration. So, you know, um, uh, we are, and we have had on here, by the way, the Republican uh, Speaker of the Arizona House, uh, Bob Bennett. Very good guy and very, very much in tune with uh, uh, John Brakey on election protection issues. So um, uh, Clint Curtis, we will have you back um, in a while to discuss the issue of the the screening of the uh, about images, that's a big a big deal, big deal. John Brake is all for them, and um, we can understand the um, hesitancy on using uh, any kind of computerization. But uh, you know, the scanning is another aspect of the issue of of paper ballots. Okay.
2: Go, so if we've got three people on stack, if, if the people on stack, can you just get to your point right away?
1: Yes, please be very forward. quick, and then we're going to go to Deepa Driver to talk about. Julian Assange, and hopefully Tatanka Bricker is is joining us now, and he can uh, fill us in a bit on Leonard Peltier for the new year. So uh, let's start with Mary. Mary, go ahead, and then uh, um, uh, Ant and Paul and Jeffrey. Very quickly, though, please.
3: All right, two points
0: on uh,
1: election protection. Please, very quickly. How
0: how can we have election protection if we're not going to put a cap that no outside forces can be investing in an election. And okay. number two, what what's the sense of having election protection if everyone that is running for office is not given equal and just time to put their case upon the table? Because we have over 136 different parties that run each year, but all we hear about is Republican, Democrat, Independent. We
1: don't hear about all the hundred and... uh. 33 other people or okay all right thank you Mary thank you for that I appreciate it and you know what we're reminded by of that great uh, statement by uh, Mark Twain who said that if God had meant us to vote he would have given us candidates um, okay um, uh, let's do uh, Jeffrey real quick then Ant then Paul and then we're gonna move over to uh, a deep on, on Julian Assange Jeffrey very quickly and I see Tonka is with us to if you can say a few words about um, a Leonard Peltier, that'd be great. Okay, Jeffrey, real quick, Cliff, you question. do it. One point, well,
6: Jeffrey, quickly. Clint you, have, Clint, you have a website, right? Because if you're going to say yes, then I, when I open that one that Mike Hirsch shared, it led me to some. It led me to some. It led me to forbid.
1: Okay, all right. Thank you, Jeffrey. Uh, uh, Cliff, do put your website in the in the chat. Uh, that'd be really great. Uh, Aunt Aunt Blasi, Auntie. Go ahead, and then Paul Stokes, and then we're done. Ant, are you unmuted? Uh, Harvey, Paul, are you, are you unmuted? Okay.
4: Go ahead, Ant. RV, I wanted during this uh, session, I wanted to have quietly in the background the House uh, deliberation of the rules package, but there's no audio, there's no video on any of the sites where it would be found. So I wonder if Clint could answer the question, why? Thank you. Um, uh, okay, uh, let's let's
1: do uh, Paul, and then we'll, Clint will let you wrap up with that. Go ahead, Paul.
2: Okay, uh, I just wanted to add to your important statement that I think most of us realize, and that is that paper ballots are the essence of uh, how you deal with voter fraud. But uh, but to complete the
1: process of using of of the protection from paper ballots, you, you need to audit. Those paper ballots, right. And while a lot of states are now have are, have now used paper ballots, not so many of them have have decent audits. So that's an important factor. Well, so we have uh, we have the the great gurus of good audits as with John Brakey and Ray Lutz, who have been mainstays of this. And of course, we had the big battle in Arizona. And again, you know, this battle over the audits in Arizona would not have happened if we did not have an election protection movement. So never doubt that uh, the a- activism makes a difference. The situation in Nevada, in Arizona um, uh, in 2018 and 2020, completely out of control had it not been for John Brakey. And Brakey uh, made the alliances with Republicans, Bob Bennett, uh, to to really do what needed to be done there. So very good point. Thank you for raising that. Couldn't you want to wrap up, please? Uh, Ant had a question and then wrap up what else you got?
2: I missed the question on something. You wondered
1: happen. why uh, why you can't see what's going on in the Congress right now. <laughs> no audio, no video. Uh, I think it's because they've banned pornography from the uh, <laughs> internet. But
2: what, what can I tell you? Go ahead. Well, maybe because nobody's there and nobody wants to let you see it anyway. So I right, mean, you know, right. Most of the congressional shows, if you actually turn to the t- channel, it's just like one guy talking in an empty container. So. Yeah. You're right. This thing doesn't really matter anyway. You got to pay attention to what happens rather than what they're saying online. So, but once again, if you want to participate in the prototype of a full paper ballot system, write me at my email address. We'll set it up. I'll see if I can fund it so we can drag people down to Orlando and uh, we'll see if we can get her done.
1: Right. So thank you, Clint. It's been an honor. And by the way, if you're walking around in Orlando, if you see if you see Bolsonaro there from Brazil, I understand that he's come up to Orlando. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you, everybody. We have 70 people on the call. Uh, Bob Fetrakis, it's an honor to have you on with us as well. And uh, Cliff Arnebeck, we wish you the best. We miss you, brother. Uh, You did. And and we're all your children here on, on these calls. So thank you very much. Okay, and Clint, we will have you back to discuss the issue of of, uh, ballot scans. Uh, I think it's a very important thing to discuss. You are knowledgeable, John is knowledgeable, we'll have it out uh, in a few weeks. Again, we're not meeting next week, but uh, going forward, we we will start again. Okay, thank you very much. As I say, we have 70 people on the call. We we are live streaming. We will be on the radio um, uh, Thursday night, uh, uh, Progressive Radio Network at 5 p.m. Eastern. And we will not meet next week, but we will again resume the week after. Okay, uh, we have with us Deepa Driver uh, and, and, and uh, Tatanka Bricker, two people that we want to have talk about, uh, political prisoners uh, of the highest importance, uh, Julian Assange and Leonard Peltier. Uh, Deepa, you've been on with us before, you're extremely articulate. It's really great to have you with us. Can you tell us the latest, Are, you may be in London, yes? Um, uh, uh, And that's not London, Ohio, that's London, England. Um, uh, Can you tell us please what's going on with uh, Julian Assange?
6: So Julian's about to enter his fourth year in a maximum security prison, coming on the back of about uh, seven years of arbitrary detention in the Ecuadorian embassy. During this period, for those of you who don't know, Julian Assange is, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know, Harvey, I don't know whether people are familiar with Assange, but maybe should I say you, a few words? about? You can
1: say a couple of words. I'm sure most people know, but go ahead with a quick, quick. and I just saw, by the way, a, a documentary film uh, on Netflix about Julian Assange. So I thought it was very good. I don't remember the title of it, but it was good. But go ahead, please, two, a couple of quick words about him and then tell us what's going on.
6: Sure. So um, many of you would have known that for a, I mean, whistleblowers have been talking to journalists for a long time. Um, and we've had people like um, Daniel Ellsberg and others revealing information to the press and the press publishing it. But before WikiLeaks, much of this information was, you know, Daniel Ellsberg stayed up all night to photocopy the information. And this information was provided either in hard copy or through other means through, through, through to the journalists. WikiLeaks revolutionized both journalism and whistleblowing when it allowed people to provide large volumes of data to through a secure portal, which uh, provided security both for the whistleblower and for um, the documentation, which was then handed over to a consortium of journalists. Today, we are aware of, you know, consortiums of journalists working with for example, the Panama Papers or the Paradise Papers and journalists working together. But when WikiLeaks um, came about in 2006-ish, this was a new idea. It was also uh, very new and novel to have what many of us use on an everyday basis now, which is a secure dropbox where people can post information safely. So WikiLeaks revolutionized journalism and they published information of, for example, corruption in Kenya under Arab Mois government, um, corruption in Tunisia, information about toxic waste dumping on the Ivory Coast. So there was lots of information coming out through them, but things really changed when WikiLeaks began to publish what were the leaks from Chelsea Manning, um, a US intelligence analyst, who provided vast amounts of documentary evidence to suggest uh, not to suggest a document, to, to evidence, that the United States was engaged in systematic war crimes abroad. And one of these sets of crimes, which I wanted to particularly highlight, not just the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, is a crime that continues to this day, just off the coast of America at Guantanamo Bay, where 21 years after the prison was opened, 37, I believe, men are still there, held without trial or charge. Last night I spoke to one of the prisoners who um had been held there for 14 years from the age of 19, without trial or charge. And um it it, it really is quite um horrific to hear what people like him have gone through. Mohamedou ul who's um whose story is captured in the movie *The Mauritanian* with uh, Jodie Foster and others. It, you know, was captured because he uh, he spoke to a cousin and spoke about get asking the cousin to bring tea and sugar, and that was taken as a code word for explosives. And then he spent the next fourteen years at Guantanamo. When and he was um, you know sexually assaulted while he was there. He was told his mother was being raped in the next room. The, the horrific treatment that these men have gone through, and it's all Muslim men, 789 Muslim men and boys, is great evidence for why something like WikiLeaks is so important because when it comes to situations like Guantanamo, when it comes to say a pandemic like COVID, when it comes to um, serious corruption in government, many of us don't know what's going on behind closed doors. And even if uh, things were slightly more visible, we would still not understand how to engage with them. And it's really important that knowledgeable whistleblowers who understand what's going on explain that and are able to explain that to the public without putting their own lives at risk. And that's what WikiLeaks was so important for, because it revolutionized whistleblowing. And it is that whistleblowing that allowed us to bring an end to the Iraq war, that allowed us to understand that what was happening at Guantanamo wasn't for the protection of the American people or for uh, people around the world. It was essentially America engaging in an illegal war. And that's why Julian became this poster boy for, um, for revolutionary journalism. And what was also special about WikiLeaks was unlike most media organizations, which are driven by the media uh, this cycle, which are driven by oligopolists interests which are driven by the interests of journalists who want to move from one career to another and therefore don't want to criticize certain people or don't want to speak about certain things. WikiLeaks was publishing information which was in the public interest and wasn't doing it for money. So these are important reasons why WikiLeaks was special and different and that's why the United States government made a real effort to shut WikiLeaks down and part of that was um, destroying both Assange and the people who were around him, who were engaged in in something that rebalanced power between the state and the individual, that changed this power balance where the state was constantly surveilling us, and instead allowed us, in in the true nature of democracy, to surveil the state, to surveil the people who were acting in our name with with our resources. So. Um, And as a result, Julian has now spent over a decade in prison. And if you care about democracy, which I could see from the discussion before that many of you deeply, deeply care about it, you're very deeply principled people. I urge you to um, take very serious action to influence both the Biden administration and uh, your local politicians to to drop the charges against Julian, because Criminalizing what Julian did, which is what the indictment says, which is the receipt of information, which is the publication of information, and all of this information you you have to realize is 100% accurate. So there's never been any question as to the accuracy of the documents. None of these documents were top secret, they were secret level. And they were, were, so for example, you know, if we were, a lot of people ask me, oh, would you publish every single piece of information? Well, there are some pieces of information which the state might want to keep secret, for example, nuclear codes. But there are other pieces of information that states choose to keep secret, either because they're protecting somebody in a position of power or because they want to save themselves from embarrassment because they engaged in something tremendously wrong. And... It is in these situations that what WikiLeaks did becomes particularly important because the vast amount of information that is classified is not classified because it protects us as a democracy. It's because it protects certain individuals who have engaged in criminal practices. Um, so I, I, we're now at a stage where um, at the first instance course, which is called a Magistrates Court in Britain. Um, Julian was tried under what is called the Extradition Act. Now, one of the illogical things about extradition in the UK, especially when it has an arrangement with a country like the United States, is that the the case goes to a single magistrate. Uh, It was a very junior individual relatively within the judicial system. Their judgments don't count in the same way to create precedent under common law. Um, The person has, in an extradition case, there is a presumption in favour of extradition. So the expectation is that the individual will be extradited unless they hit one of five bars. And one of these bars, which is um, health related, was what was triggered in relation to Julian's case. So he won his case in the first instance not in relation to arguments about press freedom or democracy or human rights, all of which were engaged because the United States did some horrendous things. Firstly, they violated one of the fundamental principles in any judicial system, which is they spied on the privileged legal conversations that Julian had with his lawyers. And when this was put to them in court, their argument was not that they had not spied because we had... Hard evidence, which was have been available on YouTube to this day, their argument was the arm of the United States state that had spied on Julian, was at arm's length from the arm of the United States government that was prosecuting him, and therefore, this was acceptable. And it's unbelievable that the that the UK courts even um, countenance such an argument. We also found out that. Um, the United States government at its very highest levels plotted to assassinate Julian while he was in a sovereign embassy and that he was deprived of asylum. Many of you will have, will remember those photographs of him being dragged with a, with a, you know, looking unkempt and pulled out of the embassy. That was a breach of international law because not only was he deprived of citizenship, he was also deprived of asylum without due process. So the U.K., the U.S. and Ecuador engaged in a deal where the, uh, you know, Ecuador was given a World Bank loan on the back of machinations to extract Julian from the embassy. And lastly, the primary witness on behalf of the United States in the case against Assange is a convicted pedophile and fraudster who received an incentive from the FBI to fabricate testimony. And he has admitted this on the record to an Icelandic newspaper. And that is now in the public domain too. So all of these reasons should have meant that the case was thrown out of court on day one. Instead, because this is a political prosecution, much like the persecution of people like Mandela, this is a case that continues to chug through no matter what comes in the way. So Julian won his case in the first instance, his extradition was stopped. But despite that, he was not granted bail. He was kept in the maximum security prison where, I mean, many of you will know what the the horrendous conditions that people in supermax prisons in the US are held in. And Julian faces 175 years in one of these supermaxes where he will be kept even pre-trial in conditions of extreme isolation. So he has, during COVID period, he was held in very difficult conditions in, in the United Kingdom. And um, the United States appealed the first instance judgment and won it appeal uh, on, on a very, very spurious ground. And now we're in a stage where we call, I mean, I, you don't know, need to know the detail, but it's called a cross appeal where Julian's lawyers are appealing on all the all the grounds that they lost at the first instance. So that's going through the courts now. Um, In the meanwhile, in 2021, Julian suffered a stroke, a mini stroke, what is called a transient ischemic attack. Mm -hmm. And um, he's in very poor health. I can, as you can imagine, a decade of confinement when you haven't committed a crime, while the war criminals like Tony Blair and George Bush are walking free, um, does something to you as an individual, and he's had the courage to continue to stand and continue to fight for the truth. So I'll stop there, I can see. Well, what, what, uh, very
1: quickly, uh, first of all, we're about to uh, go off the air in terms of my one hour slot on PRN. And Steve, you're gonna get a call from um, <clears throat> um, uh, Linda Seeley, her power is out. So she's got to call in rather than be on the Zoom. Um, uh, but, um, uh, we need to know from you, and then we're gonna talk to talk, to and then Vince to Stefano. Uh, But I want to tell my uh, listeners on PRM, this has been the Solartopia Green Power and Wellness Show. And um, uh, we are going to continue this discussion. If you want to hear the rest of it, go to the electionprotection2024.org website, where the entire uh, proceeding is is recorded and available to listen. But we will be shortly leaving the uh, podcast spot at PRN uh, on Thursday at 5 p.m. So let's... Let's do this now. Let's continue. Um, Deepa, uh, very quickly, I want, then I want to talk to, to talk about Leonard Peltier, and then we'll go back to uh, Julian with Vincent De Stefano. Um, uh, but what can we do uh, very quickly? Uh, I understand there may be movement because there's a new prime minister in Australia, and Assange is a an Australian citizen. Uh, the last prime minister was a nightmare, but this guy seems to be. Uh, fairly human. So um, Deepa, very quickly, what can we do to help uh, Julian get free? Was there an Adam?
0: Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden.